Hey everybody, it's Pastor Dylan. Welcome to the Dayspring Wesleyan Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take the time to download our church app. It's the best way to stay connected to the life of the church. All you have to do is go to your app store and search for Church Center, download and enter the information for our church. You will then be connected to our church community. I hope the following presentation inspires you to move closer to God in this journey we call faith. Enjoy. Good morning, church. So I'm glad to be back with you this week, and I appreciate all the people that were concerned that something had happened to me physically last week, and that's why I wasn't here, uh, because we didn't announce why I wasn't, but I was just away for the week, and we had already had that planned out, and Pastor Dylan did a fantastic job sharing last week, so if you weren't here and you get a chance to hear that, I, I would recommend that you go listen to that message, and I tell you, as a pastor, it's so freeing to be able to and trust somebody else to do those messages. And, and those guys do a fantastic job. The only thing that I was concerned about, though, is that he said during his message, because uh, I was listening online, he said, um, you know, if you have any complaints, uh, send it to my email at C. Osborne, you know. And I was like, so um, I got a lot of comments this week about it. And they were more like, man, you're a lot better than that guy. You know, you're taller, better looking. And, and I just thought some stuff was hurtful, okay? So... Uh, but uh, it's good to have all of you back. I'm glad uh, he did a great job. And uh, a couple of the announcements I just need to follow up on. First of all, uh, Pizza with the Pastor. So if you're fairly new to the church, I uh, would love to have you come and, and, and sit down with us. And a lot of it sounds like you get to see Pastor Chuck and all of you are like, oh man, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, you get to meet some of the other staff as well, you know, which would be really cool. But we'd love to have you and just share with you. And it's a great for, way for us to get to know some of you that are here. And then the, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention um, and by the way, you have your bulletin every week. You have uh, this stuff up here. So I don't want to repeat everything. But this one I'll get in trouble if I don't share because it comes from my wife. All right. And so um, she leads the worship most weeks. And because of that, uh, one of the things we realized is there are probably some people out in this congregation that either play some instruments, guitar, piano, drums. Uh, maybe you, you know, want to be in the worship team to sing. We're going to have a, a dinner, an appreciation dinner for those who are already serving in those areas. And uh, we need some help with the sound and video and stuff like that. If you're able or thinking about it, uh, we'd love to have you come to that meal just to be a part of it. And so we can get some names and, and get some more people on the schedule. Because it just helps because you just have so many things going on. So anyways, so if you're interested in that, please come be a part of that. Now, uh, today, if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask that you turn to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 19, if fairly new to the church or to just church itself. And you're opening your Bible for the first time. This book is going to be right in the front. And if you'll notice, it's hard for me to, uh, usually I leave my Bible over like this, but since most of it is over on that side, it's going to fall over. So, uh, but it's in chapter 3, going to be looking at verses 1 through 19. This continues our series called Turning Points. And, uh, and labeled this one just the blame game. And uh, this has been a passage, honestly, like as I was preparing the last couple of weeks, I kept reading and reading and reading, and I was in Genesis 1 to 3, and I have to tell you, there's actually so much information in there that I was like, there's, there's just no way I can get through all this information. And I wanted it to be very specific for one of the turning points, I believe, in biblical history. So I realized at some point we're going to have to go back through this. And even today, I knew it, I tried it, and I couldn't do it. There was no way to get through all these notes. So if it's going to drive some of you crazy, just deal with it for a week, okay? We'll finish the rest of the notes out next week. But there's no way to get through all the stuff that we have in here, okay? Uh, I remember when uh, uh, growing up, my, uh, my, my grandmother, who's no longer with us, uh, she would tell this story about my dad. And I don't know if, I don't know how old he was. I don't know if he was, um, you know, in elementary or his teen years or whatever. 
Uh, but she, she tells us this great story of how in their farm, they used to have what they call a fence row. And the fence row is basically, you know, it would just be the, the property line fence so that this land is yours and then this over here is somebody else's farmland. But oftentimes, because they would use this cheap fencing and stuff, you would have all this kind of stuff grow up around it, you know, with some trees, thorn bushes and all this stuff. And so that area would get very big. And I guess my dad was a little bit of a pyro. And I didn't know this about my dad, okay, but uh, he loved to just play with matches, just light them and stuff like that. And so I guess he was by the, um, um, the fence row one day and he was lighting matches. I don't know if he was smoking anything, you know, but I know that he was at least lighting matches and uh, probably blow them out or whatever, just throw them around. Well, he was doing whatever. And I guess next thing he knew, like the fence row caught on fire. And so he was very panicked. I think he tried to put it out, but realized he wasn't going to get it out. So he came running, and I don't know if it was to my grandma or my grandpa, but he, uh, they, he said, ah, the fence row's on fire. And they're like, well, how the fence row get on fire? And he's like, he didn't know what else to do. And so I think he was just trying to use some theology at his time, you know. He was like, I did it, but the devil made me do it, you know, so... Which isn't great theology, but there's some in there. And, uh, and I, I started thinking about that. And I thought, you know, I really saw my dad sort of still liking fire even when I was a teenager. Because we had taken, I think it was our fence row, and we had took it all down and put it in this kind of big bonfire type looking area. And uh, dad, you know, he lit the match, but he didn't think it was going very well. So he got this bright idea. He's like, I'm just going to grab a gasoline tank, you know. And so he started, uh, you know, splashing it on like this. And the next thing I saw from a distance is the fire from the bonfire that went uh, into the gas can. And I saw my dad throw that thing up in the air, heard an explosion. And I saw my dad take off like Usain Bolt. You know, like, I mean, it was the fastest I've ever seen my dad run. And he had uh, singed hairs and stuff. And I thought to myself, the devil probably made him do that too, you know. (laughs) So, uh, but I was thinking to myself, it's funny how many times um, through circumstances in life that we tend to blame, I would say, other people, our situations, the devil, um, for the things that we've gotten in trouble for. And then it's always interesting even more to me how that at times, um, by continuing blaming somebody and not taking responsibility, we literally pour gasoline upon this situation instead of getting the help that we need. So we're going to be sharing today about Adam and Eve, and this is the first sin that comes in the Bible, their disobedience to God. And so I want to share a little bit about that. We're going to get into some of the background and stuff on that as well. But let's start talking about them, and let's read together in chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom... She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And then the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. And you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and he will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat for food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. Let's pray together. Father, you know, every time I just dig into your word, and the more and more I read and recognize, I don't know, the foolishness or the bad decisions that we make and recognize your grace throughout it is just unbelievable. I pray today that we as a people would be reflective on sort of mistakes that people have made in the past, recognizing what it brought and ushered into the world and recognize that even the decisions and the choices that we make today can impact our world both positively and unfortunately negatively as well. So help us all to understand your grace today and your love for us. Father, if there's anything that I wouldn't get quite right within the scriptures today, I pray that you would clean it up in the ears of your people so that the voice they hear from is yours. In your name we pray. Amen. So I want to give you a little bit of background before we get into this whole thing. And I mean, there is a ton of stuff. Like I said, every time I read something else, I'm like, oh man, we could do like five messages within the first two chapters of the Bible because there's just so much stuff there. Uh, This is the first recording of events we have then from uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2. And they're about the creation of the world. Uh, We read that the plants, the animals, we read that there was day and night. There were the water and the land were created. And at the end of that, that man was created as well. And then we read that God rested. I could probably spend um, just an hour on this part of the scripture itself. Um, But there are certain elements and certain parts of creation that I really want to deal with today. Um, and it would really take a couple of other sermons to do all that stuff. Uh, so for our part, and so what we're trying to get through today, I want us to just look at sort of one part of what's going on. But here's the things I want you to understand. First of all, with humanity, there is a special relationship between God and man. And that's very significant through what happens here through the rest of the text. Um, as you know, and as you read your Bible, there's probably certain things that you read. And as he creates different parts, it's like, He says this, he says, let there be light, let there be day and night, let there be plants, let there be water, let there be creatures that move along the ground. 
and so those kind of statements are significantly made over and over again. So it's always let there be. Now, when he gets into creation of man, he says this. Instead of let there be, he changes it to let us make man in our own image. And the reason that's significant, and I want you to understand this, it goes from being a very impersonal type of creation to a very personal one. So there let there be is all these things of the world. And then all of a sudden we recognize that there is something more when man was created. And so it says, God said, let us make man in our own image. And by the way, the word God that they use there, which is Elohim, which was a word that probably many of us have heard or maybe even familiar with. Maybe it's new to some of you. I want you to know that in the Hebrew, that word literally means it's like a plural noun which may confuse some of us because we say, well, how is it a plural noun when we're talking about God? And this explains to us, and I don't want to get into all the theology about it because, again, we could spend a ton of time on there, and at the end of the day, I can try to make it sound as good as I want, and, you, and we still may not have a final conclusion on it. But we're talking about the Trinity here. All right, we're talking about the three and one. And you have to know about that word is, even though it means a plural noun, it also means oneness. It also means oneness. So it's the three in one that we talk about. It's the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who are all God in this single moment. Now, we could probably take some time and we could try to explain how that works. We could use certain illustrations, like we could use an egg and we could talk about how there's three parts of an egg. Uh, we could talk of it in like a marriage and like when a man and woman come together and there's this other sort of force that happens in between all that. Uh, we could talk about um, water in the three states that it exists in, you know, sort of this gas state, there's sort of the, uh, the liquid state, and then there's the, the hard shape is ice, you know. But I want to tell you this, even if we used all those illustrations, they all would not fully explain God. They all fell in some way or another. So it's very hard to understand that. And then a lot of people wrestle with this because so how can we understand that God, the Trinity is what we call it. How can we understand the three and one? And this is what I want to tell you, just for the sake of this right now. You will never fully understand the Trinity. And that's okay. Because if you and I ever fully understand who God is, he will cease to be God. God is bigger than you and I can even imagine, and we can't contain him in a box. So just want to stop there for a moment, okay? Uh, the other thing is, when he says, let's create him in our image, that means he's separating them from everything else. And when he's saying, let's create him in our image, uh, I think Paul does even a good job of describing this a little bit. When in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, he says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he explains this in three different parts. We are spirit soul, and body. We are different from all other creation out there. You and I have the ability to discern. You and I, when we die, our spirit is what will go and be with him one day. So there is sort of this understanding that he made us in his image. There's a part of us. And again, we could take another whole sermon to talk about what that image is fully like, but we're just, we're going to move on past that for a moment. The other thing that we read is this, 
is that God valued humanity not just by making him in his own creation, but he also said, I'm going to give them dominion over everything else. In other words, man will rule of everything else out there. And you remember, by the way, when creation was taking place and Adam, he came, you know, he came by and it says that the animals were to walk by him and, and he was to give them the various names. You know, now this isn't quite in the Hebrew, but I want you to understand the English form. Like, you know, can you imagine, by the way, naming every animal? Okay, how monotonous would that be? You know, so he starts out and he's like, here's an elephant, you know, rhinoceros, you know, and he names and, he, and he's picking up these sort of bigger names and all of a sudden it's like, he probably just gets tired. And he's like, that's a dog, that's a cat. You know, and just going on to very simplistic terms, you know. And obviously that wouldn't be in the Hebrew, but I just couldn't imagine going through all that creation. But God gave him dominion over that as well. And then I think one thing that we need to hear in our world today because of what's going on in our society is this. When God is, cre you know, having uh, creation and when he's creating all the other animals, there is a distinction that is not made with the animals that is made with humanity. And I want you to recognize this. God says he created them male and female. Okay? So there's a distinction right there in humanity. And we're living in a world now that wants to twist and subvert that all around. But you have to understand that God's intention was always for a male and a female. The next thing is this, and this will help along with our story. You recognize, too, that when he created all that was in the world, and again, he wanted a special relationship with humanity, then we even see him walking and talking with man face to face, which is significant because it's something that you and I don't get to experience today. But when he created this whole world, he created all this, you know, these, these uh, plant bearing and, and tree bearing and fruits and all that, and they could eat from it. And by the way, too, recognize this. Every time he says it, he says, let the land produce the trees. Let the land do this. And then he says, with humanity, let us create them in our image and they will produce. Which again gives us the ability um, in the image of God as well. So we have the ability to create uh, just like he did. So anyways, when you have this going on, he gives all the plants out there. And he says this, I'm going to give you all these plants and all these trees to eat from. He says, and then there's a tree of life. And he says, and then there's one tree that I do not want you to touch. And I have to tell you, this was always the part that bothered me. And the reason why is because it was like, well, didn't you set them up for sin? I mean, don't you kind of wrestle with that? Like, what were you doing? Like, you gave them the one thing. It's like if my, if my mom said, hey, look, you got to eat your supper, and we're going to save this cookie jar for afterwards. It's like, you can't do that to me. You know, because I want that cookie jar really bad. You know, so there's just always this sort of feeling, weren't you setting them up for sin? But it wasn't. He was setting them up to love, and he was giving what you and I call free will. Like that gives us the ability to decide what we want to do. And that's a difficult thing, I think, for some of us to get, because honestly, if you have a kid that's wayward and, and just not doing the things that you want, you know that you want to take away their free will so bad because you want to send them in the right direction. But truthfully, and I want you to think about it this way, is God gave us the ability to love him freely. And you and I make that choice if we're going to do so or not. I mean, think about this. Uh, some of you um, girls may have had those little dolls when you were growing up, um, and they used to have strings on them. I think today it would be more computerized, you know, but you would pull that little string, and that doll would go, 
I love you. I love you. You know, it just, and it would do that. And, you know, parents probably get annoyed of that thing like over and over and couldn't wait for the day that that string broke, you know. But you'd pull that string and it would say that. And the thing is, do you really feel love from a doll like that if you do it over and over again? No, because it's robotic in form. And God didn't create us to be robots. He created us with the ability to love, and we get to do that freely. So in the midst of all this that was going on, he just told them, this is the one command, don't touch this tree. And he had significant reason for it. But here's the deal. We know now that that's when sin entered the world. And so I want to deal a little bit with the issue of sin as we get going. But in verses 1 through 3, I want you to know this, that sin questions God. So it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden. Now, by the way, did you know what happened? Like when the devil is tempting through a snake, he already changed the words of God anyways. He said this, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? That's not what God said. God said you can have all the trees just not this one. As a matter of fact, Eve clarifies it later. She says, we may eat from the trees in the garden. And then she goes on to tell why. What the devil is trying to do is he's trying to question the authority of God. Did God really say, I mean, is that really what he meant? You know, and by the way, if, if you've had kids long enough, you, like you've dealt with those same things. You know, you'll say to your kids, uh, clean your room. And they're like, well, did, did mom and dad really mean for me to thoroughly clean my room? Or can I just do a couple things? You know, do we really have to do that? Do we really have to obey them? You know, and by the way, that's just not a kid thing. That's an adult thing as well. Like you see things in your office and say, do I really have to do all the safety precautions? Like, do I really have to do that? And I bought my uh, son Isaac uh, one of those gel guns that are out there now. And um, by the way, I just bought it yesterday and I realized that it was a mistake already. All right. Because I was on the mower and all of a sudden I got beamed in the back of the head. And uh, it was, uh, it smarted just a little bit. Of course, I turned around to want to scold my child and it was my wife holding the gun and shooting me. (laughs) But then my son came out later and he starts shooting me. And I mean, luckily I had my headphones on, but one of them, hit the headphones and I heard this pop and I was like I was like come on I knock it off like you know because I thought if I didn't have these headphones on what if one would have lodged itself in my ear and stuff you know you're thinking like worst case scenarios and then I was also thinking like dude if those hit me in the eye like I'm gonna lose an eyeball and I will not be happy trust me okay so I was trying to save everybody from the situation and I was thinking and you know I was just like what's the big deal dad you know the other guys aren't wearing glasses And, and I'm like dude you have to wear glasses you know, because I don't want you to lose your eye. I know it's a safety thing, right? And I know at the end of the day, like, it just takes one little bullet to go astray. It hits him in the eye, and it's gone. But I think we often do that. Do I really have to do this? Do I really have to follow the speed limit? Do I really have to listen to my boss? Do, do I, I mean, is it okay if I just take a couple of things from the office and not tell anybody? Do, you know, do I really have to love my wife? And that allows us to question really the authority of God. Like, do I really have to believe everything that he says? 
Do I really have to do that? And it's that question of God that sin begins to enter our world. Next is this. Sin manipulates our reasoning. So in verse 4, the devil goes on to say, You will certainly not die, a serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now listen to this. The devil's playing with her this time, right? I mean, he's tricking her. And he's giving her like half-truths. You know, he says like, well, this is what God knows. God knows if you eat of that, you'll know just as much as he does. And you'll see both good and evil. Now, I have to tell you, one that's seen evil, I wish I didn't know evil. But you don't realize that until you see it. And all of a sudden, you wish that you would have never seen that before. But sin manipulates our reasoning. And so in this case, he's like, well, you're not really going to die. I mean, you really think if you eat that fruit right now, like, boom, you're dead? He says, God just doesn't want you to have your eyes opened. He doesn't want you to be like him. And he starts to manipulate this reasoning. And you and I in life have been manipulated at times. You know, did, did your parents really say that? Did they really say you couldn't go to this party? Did they say you really couldn't take the car? You know, we as adults, we, we do the same thing. I mean, is it really that bad? If I say something negative to my spouse? Is it really that bad if I tell just a little white lie? Is it really that bad if I flirt with somebody else that's not my spouse? I mean, does it really matter if I take a few paper clips or pens or whatever they might be from the office? Is it really that big a deal? And the truth is, sin begins to manipulate us. Because then we begin to reason, well, that wasn't so bad, so then I can do even bigger things. All of a sudden, those little white lies become big lies. All of a sudden, that little flirtation becomes an inappropriate relationship. All of a sudden, that little stuff that we took from the office becomes bigger things, and we don't think anything about it. And the next thing we know, we're walking in darkness. And we've just been accustomed to that. And that's why we need the light of Jesus to shine upon that, to reveal to us, hey, this is where you're making some mistakes in these areas. But sin will always reason things out. Next is in sin looks desirable, but always has consequences. So it says, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made, uh, made coverings for themselves. And can you imagine that? Again, she saw the food. She says, you know, whether it's an apple, some believe it's an apple, some believe it was grapes, it doesn't really matter, it was just fruit. It looked good. And all of a sudden, they looked at it and says, well, the food looks okay. I haven't had any problems with these other trees. Maybe I can eat this fruit too. So you eat the fruit. And because of it, what happens? It says that their eyes were opened. And she realized, and he realized, that they were naked. Now, again, this is crazy because they've been naked since they were created. Chapter 1, 2, they're already naked. But then all of a sudden their eyes were open and then they felt the shame of what they saw. Now, I know some of you, if you're like me, you'll reason this out and be like, boy, I'm really glad that one thing happened. You know, because I'm glad that we're all wearing clothes today. Like, I get that. I'm with you, okay? 
But it says all of a sudden they realized something they never felt shame about. All of a sudden their eyes were open and they felt shame about it. And I think in our world, sin looks so desirable. People make sin look out to be so great and fantastic. And some of the commercials that are out there in this world, we, we make drunkenness things seem like it's a great thing to experience. And all these people had a good time and had lots of fun. And at the end of the day, I think there's consequences to that. You don't know how many times that some of us think that speeding is okay and, and you know, does a little bit matter? I don't know. But somebody came up with it and said, probably if you go this fast, it'll probably cause problems. You know? And I have to tell you, man, that's what I'm guilty of. Okay? I don't know how much money I've given to the highway patrol in the last several years. But I think that's why so many of them attend here. Because I've given them so much, that they feel like they need to give back as well. You know? But it's that... Like, there's obviously rules and reasons for that stuff. Because the consequences is when you lose control in sort of a wet, rainy condition, and then you end up hurt because of it, then you recognize the problem with it. Relationships. Certain relationships can be, seem so desirable. Well, look at all these women that like me. Or look at all these guys that like me. And I'm going to allow myself to be flirtatious. I'm going to allow myself to have some of these extra relationships. Or look at this stuff online. It's not really that bad. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves getting addicted. And we find ourselves in other relationships. And then we find ourselves losing our wife or our kids. Just because of the acts that we've decided to do. And because of that, there are consequences. I think to myself, one of the best pictures I have of my um, grandparents is this one where they're holding hands together. And I thought, man, they went day in and day out. And not that they had this perfect life, but they learned to love each other in such a way that when they got old, they were still hand in hand together. And I see so many relationships that where we've allowed so much junk to enter in that no longer they're holding hand in hand. But they might be greatly separated, divorced, can't stand each other, or everything's just been lost. And I thought, how sad. Why? Because sin has consequences. Nextly is this, is our fear of consequences pushes us to hide our sin. So in verse 8, we have, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God, and he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid themselves from the Lord among the trees in the garden. And so what I recognize here is this. Sometimes in our sin, we're so afraid to tell people what we're going through. We're so afraid to confess what's really going on that what happens is that fear drives us to say nothing, and then those sins continue to mount up. And matter of fact, there's this guilt, and then we just get used to this guilt. We don't get the help that we need. You ever seen people that are addicts? One of the first steps that it says they need to take is what? Admit that they have a problem. And that is so hard for us to do because if I admit it, then other people will know this about me and I may suffer some consequences because of it. But at the end of the day, you're still going to suffer consequences anyways. And so what we should do is say, look, this is where I have a problem and I need to get help. But for so many of us, fear will push us to hide it. And Adam and Eve were at the place where they were like, man, we don't want God to see us in our nakedness. We don't see, want God to see that we made a mistake. We don't want him to be ashamed of us. And so they decided to hide themselves. And then we get on to verses 9 and 10. And this is what I want you to understand. You cannot hide your sin from God. You can't do it. 
Because verse 9 and 10 tells us this, but the Lord God called to me, and where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. He thought he could hide himself from the Lord. You have to remember again, there was such a special relationship with man and God that it literally says God would walk through the cool of the day, probably at nighttime sometimes, just to see how they were doing. And all of a sudden he comes out, and they must have known that he was coming out because it says that they hid. They didn't want him to see them in the state that they were in. But God calls out, hey, where are you guys? And you and I, we may manipulate other situations. We may think that we can hide our sins from people around us, but you will never, ever hide your sin from God. He knows your mind. He knows your heart. He's the one that needs to deal with you. And no matter what you think, you can never hide it from God. So then we get into verse 11. And we're going to stop after this sort of passage. We'll get into one other thing. I think we got two more things to go through, so then I'll stop for today. But here's what I want you to know in verse 11. I think we open ourselves up to sin when we value the voice of others over God. And I have to tell you, when I was reading this for the first time again, this was the part that I could not get past. And I want you to listen to it with me. And God said, who told you? that you were naked. Who told you that you were naked? And man, that just messed with me. Because I've been around a lot of teens. I've been around um, a, a lot of you. And I've heard your stories. I've seen some of the things that people have said. I've heard some of the baggage in your background. And I recognize that people will use or say one phrase to you. And they'll say it in such a way that you can never get past that phrase. I don't know how many middle schoolers that I've talked to over the years who thought they had things pretty good in life, but then all of a sudden somebody tells them something. They'll say, hey, you're ugly. They can't get past it. Hey, you're too fat. You're too thin. You're too stupid. You're not a good athlete. You're uncoordinated. And they hear those phrases and they can't get past it. And it's almost like it reveals something to them where they thought their life was pretty good, but somebody mentions one thing and they can't get past it. And I think to myself, why is that voice so important to you over others. Like you've probably had your parents tell you from time to time how great you are and how good you do. But that one voice of somebody in school that said something stupid holds power over you. And I know from talking to some of you, you guys didn't come from some of the best situations. Your parents didn't love you the way that you should have been loved. And they have said some of those mean and hurtful things to you as well. Can I tell you something? Don't give them power over you. The only person that can speak into you is God. And he loves you and he values you. So who told you these bad things about yourself? And why are you giving them so much power? 
They've exposed one little error in your life. And then you can't get past that for the rest of your time. And then he asks them the question and their consequences. And he says this, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the question is this, have you listened to other voices other than God's? Because if so, you're listening to the wrong voices for the wrong reasons. And I want to end with this other thing, and then we'll get into the rest of it next week. But, but, and this is where we were supposed to spend the majority of our time. But instead of admitting our sin, we tend to play the blame game. Verses in 12 and 13 begin to get in this, and we'll get into this a little bit next week. But here's one of the things that I've recognized. I, I've, I've heard a lot of stories, and I've talked to a lot of you, and I recognize some of the situations you've gone through. Some of the environment that some of you have gone through is absolutely insane. I don't know how many uh, women I've talked to in our church that have had some sort of sexual abuse, either from a family member or an older person in their life that they trusted. I don't know how many people I've talked to that have just come out of some rough situations where their parents beat them or didn't love them appropriately. I don't know how many situations that I've talked to in people in life where a spouse came in and said, I don't love you anymore and walked out and left them with the kids and left them in a tougher situation. I don't know how many of the stories of those I've heard over and over and over again. But that environment that is created, I don't know how they get past it. I don't know how some people get past the fact that they had nothing growing up, that they didn't really know if they would be protected. They were in a bad situation where they had gunfire and all that stuff out. I know there were situations when people were so afraid they weren't even going to have food to eat. And that environment was so bad. And I look at people with those stories and I'm like, I don't know how they made it. Because I feel really blessed. And it's hard for me to identify with those who have went through some of those tough situations. But here is the other thing I thought about that. Even though I think our environment depicts a little bit where we go, I want you to know that your environment does not have to rule you. And if I give you another little take, environment doesn't change who we are today. That's a choice you get to make. And think about this, for those of you who are on the big environment kick. and want to blame your environment for the way you are. What environment did Adam and Eve have? Everything was good. And even when he created humanity, he said it, it, it is very good. The plants and the trees and all that provided for the people. They had all that provided for them, but still what happened at the end of the day, in that great environment, they still chose sin. Do you remember the story last week that we talked about, or a couple weeks ago, we talked about Cain? And God said to Cain in his anger, he said, sin is crouching at your door, but you can master it or you can rule over it. And this is what I want you to know. Even though some of you have come through some of the worst situations in life, you can master it. You can rule over it. Why? Because you have a God who loves you and he values you. You have a God that sees some of the hurt and some of the things that you've experienced through life. And he says, I love you. He can see some of the stuff that was said to you some of the things that you can't get past. And he says, listen, I don't care what they said. What matters is what I think, and I know that I love you. 
Matter of fact, I love you so much that I'm willing to put myself on a cross and to die for your sins so that you can have this freedom, so that you can feel valued. And some of you, if you walk through some of those dark places in life and you have a God who desperately, desperately, desperately wants you to feel valued and wants you to feel loved. Have you made mistakes in life? Sure. If I've made mistakes in life, you bet. But I'm so thankful I have a God who desperately loves me. Have you had people that have said some stupid and hurtful things in your life? Yep. Have I had that? Yep. I mean, I've told you from time to time that, you know, some of my greatest joys are from the church and some of my greatest hurts are from the church. I've had people say, man, you do a great job at speaking. And I had people in my past tell me, you'll never make it as a lead pastor. Those things hurt, you bet. But at the end of the day, it didn't matter what they said. It matters what God says. And if this is what God has called you to do, then you can master or you can rule over it. One of my favorite passages in Scripture, and with this, is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says this, No temptation has seized you, but what is common to man. In other words, you and I face the same kind of sins, probably different degrees and different levels, because it says uh, no temptation will, will harm you, but um, and, and, uh, yeah. no temptation will seize you what is common to man. And God is faithful, it says. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. In other words, some of you are a little bit stronger than others. But God won't give you more than you can bear. But then I love this. But if you do fall into temptation, he will provide a way out that you may stand up under it. Have you made mistakes? You bet. Have I made mistakes? Yes. Will I continue to make mistakes? Probably. Because I'm pretty stupid. And I do stupid things. But at the end of the day, God died on a cross to forgive me of my sins. And he died on the cross to forgive you of your sins. Would you stand with me this morning? And if you wouldn't mind, just close your eyes for just a moment. And if some of you would say, Pastor Chuck, some of the stuff you shared today has really resonated with me. And there's some hurt and there's some things that people have said in my past. Maybe you said it to others. Maybe they said it to you. And you say, man, I, I just have had a real hard time getting past it because I've given them power over me instead of giving God. And you would say this morning, would you just pray for me? If that's you, would you just raise your hand this morning? And I just want to remember you in a prayer time. Got it in the back. Got it up front here. Thank you. Got it way in the back here on the sides. Thank you. In the middle section on the side. Got it. Over here in the front. Thank you. In the back over here. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. Way in the back. Yep. Thank you. Got that one too? The voice? Yeah. Let's pray together. Father God, we just want to thank you for meeting with us today. You're so gracious and loving. I mean, in spite of all these sins, in spite of all this stuff that we do, like you still felt that we were valued enough. I mean, it's where it tells us you wanted a special relationship with humanity. That you created everything else and you said that it was good, but when you created humanity, you said, and this is very good. And so, Father, we recognize as a people that we always don't feel like that we've done the best. We often sort of stick in that sort of depression of, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish this would have changed. But the truth is, God, that you love us. And you tell us we can master over our situations. We can be honest with one another. And can, we can move past the things that we need to. And I don't want to minimize anybody's hurt today. But I want to maximize your love in our lives. 
So would you just be with us, help us, let us know that we're valued and loved and that we can be a people of change. We love you, Father, in your name we pray. Amen. So today as you leave, I want you to know that you are loved and you are valued and we'll see you again next week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you are in the Marion area, we would love to engage with you at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fantastic children and student ministries, visit us at dayspringwesleyan.org. That's dayspringwesleyan.org.